pray that the Lord would be with us then in our time together. As we look to the Word of God, I want to ask you to mark, uh, turn to Mark chapter 1. I don't know, I know I have been over the last few weeks uh, working through this first chapter. I, I don't know that we'll be working our way through the whole book, uh, but the Lord does uh, has led us here once again to these following verses of where we did leave off last time. We will read uh, verses 16 through 20. I want to talk to you today about thinking thoroughly and following quickly. Thinking thoroughly and following quickly. Hopefully that title will make sense by the time we conclude our remarks today. Let's read together verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Thinking thoroughly, following quickly. Jesus comes along and certainly changes the lives of these four men in a dramatic way on this day. If you've been saved and you know the Lord, you, you recognize something of that in your own life. Maybe not as dramatic as the scene laid out here. Maybe it was. I don't know. But you know something of the change that takes place inwardly. And, and then the changes that follow as a result of following Christ. And following him quickly is what immediately struck me as, as the Lord directed my heart for the message today. And then he added, I think as we studied and thought and prayed, the idea of this thinking thoroughly as we follow quickly. And my initial thought was something very simply of hurry up and follow. Hurry up and follow. And I think there's something to that. And I want to look at that a little bit today. And I wonder if there's anyone that's hesitating, that's holding back, that's not following quickly. And we want to bring to you some things to think about as that if that is the case for you. But we also, when it comes to following the Lord, understand that it's necessary to think thoroughly. And so I want to bring these two thoughts together, and I pray that the Lord does in your heart and in your mind. Because time is short in our life, and we don't know how long any of us have to proclaim the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, where eternity then will usher in for us. And so we have today, we have this moment, and it's what you have right now as well. It's the only time that you have. You, you don't have tomorrow, and you don't have yesterday. You don't, you don't have an hour from now, and you don't have an hour ago. You have this moment, and, and the Lord calls. And when he calls, he wants you to follow him quickly. He, he doesn't want you to delay and to hesitate. He wants you to follow quickly. 
But this example that, that we have in the Gospel of Mark of the Lord's calling of his apostles or his disciples at this point, anyhow, we find some things that are important for us to think about. And so when I say thinking thoroughly, I, what are the things that we ought to think about when it comes to the Lord calling us and calling these men to follow him? Well, first thing that pops out to me is the the opposite manner in which Jesus calls those who would follow him, least opposite to the norm of the day. Back in this time, a rabbi among the Jews, a teacher among the Jews, would wait for followers to come to him. He would wait until students would come to him and he would begin to teach. But Jesus goes about this in the opposite way. He goes and he gathers followers to himself. He calls to you. The Son of God, the man Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the the one who has paved the road to heaven, the teacher of all teachers, the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings. He does not wait for you to come to him. He comes first to you and he calls you. And, And this is unusual. It was certainly unusual in the day. Jesus seeks out his students. The call to follow Christ is always brought to us by God, by the Lord. If you don't agree with me in that, Psalm 14, I think, demonstrates the truth of this. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3 say this. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned. This is his assessment, the Lord's assessment, as he looks out in the world uh, under of the, the children of man, and he seeks for us. They, he says his, his assessment is this in verse 3. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not one. More passages than this one in Psalms could be read that clearly demonstrate, I think, the reality that if it were left to us to seek God, none of us would. I think the Bible is very clear on that point. We wouldn't seek Him. He sought us. And here in Mark chapter 1, we have that same example where the Lord Himself comes and calls to these four men and says to them, follow me calls out to them to be that he would be the one that they followed. We, you and I, man, in any capacity, in any time, whoever they are, they are not the heroes in the Bible. And we've said that before. We're not the subject even of the Bible, I don't believe. This Bible is a book about God and what he has done for us. And we might be related to the subject, of course, and and we are tied to the subject of the scripture. But the scripture is about Christ and about what God has done to save a world that were it left to them would never seek him in the first place. This is this book tells us about the God who seeks us. The Bible tells us clearly what God has done for man and and not what man must do for God. The Bible tells us of the greatness of God and not the greatness of man. The Bible tells us of God's call to man and not man's call to God. Not not first, anyhow. 
certainly not merely. But this call of Jesus to these men, it's also opposite of what was traditional among the Jews on this day, because certainly a Jewish rabbi with any intention of having an influential following would not have gone and sought out a bunch of common fishermen. He would have chosen some more cream of the crop, so to speak. But he goes to the Sea of Galilee and he finds four, probably, no doubt, dirty, tired. They'd been fishing all night. And he comes along, these four men, unimpressive in the eyes of the world. And he calls these four unimpressive men to follow him. And you might think that you're unimpressive, not special, not uniquely talented, not uniquely qualified in the eyes of the world. And yet God comes to you. The Lord does. And I believe he comes to all of us. And he says to follow me. Though you might be unimpressed by the standards of men. As these four were. Common fishermen. Not especially educated even. Because later on in the, God, in the book of Acts. We're going to read how the Jews and the Pharisees. They were kind of astounded at these disciples of Christ saying, they're not learned men, they're uneducated, but they speak with such power and authority that they're turning the world upside down. That's what Jesus is going to do with a set of common fishermen. He's going to turn the world upside down, but it's necessary. If you want to be a part of that, to follow quickly, while certainly thinking thoroughly, these men, though, that Jesus called, again, they're not impressive by the standards of the world, though no doubt well-educated in the light of Deuteronomy chapter 6, where their Jewish families would have taken very seriously the command given through Moses to teach your children about God. And no doubt they'd been taught the Old Testament, and they knew what it was they were waiting on, the Messiah. But to that end, still not impressive. Not scribes, not not a priest, not in the not in the, the, the role of a spiritual leader, and yet Jesus, the Son of God, comes along the Sea of Galilee to them. He calls to them to follow him, and that is the call to follow. So as we think about following, and, and as we follow then, I hope quickly, as, as we think about what it is to follow Christ, we need to remember, first of all, God comes to us and calls us to himself to follow. This is not a decision that we can come to on our own. But the call then, as we think about it, it is to follow. And we can sometimes forget this, I think. I, I think we prefer at times to lead instead of follow our own lives. We want to make the decisions. We want to determine our future path. I think more and more, and, and, and others will no doubt and do disagree with me. I, I think more and more of the silliness that we ask children 11, 12, 13 years old these days to, to pick a major in college that they're going to head toward. I, I think it's silly, but we like to think about arranging and ordaining our future path. And we like to be the ones in charge of that. We want to be in the driver's seat of our life. But the call of Christ is to follow. It is not to make the plan. It is to follow the plan. 
It is not to determine my intention. It is to understand where God would have me to go and what he would have me to do with my life. And then it is for me to follow. Though we might prefer to lead, by the way, and make our own decisions, and we do want to do that, I think as well. Something I want to to introduce to you, if you've not thought of this before, no doubt many have. But there's a there's a certain liberty and peace that's found only in surrendering your will and your life to God. There's a liberty that comes in that. The burden of trying to determine your own path. And, and I've thought as well, all of the burden that we place on young people to, to, to save the world and, and to, and to correct all that's wrong. And I wonder by the time they get to their forties, how disappointed they're going to be. Your path, your call is to follow. Follow him. That's what the Lord said. He said to them, come and follow me. And he says, I'll make you become fishers of men. That was the purpose that he had for calling them. And it is the greatest calling from the greatest man. The call to follow Christ is a call to tell others about him. The subject of our lives, therefore, as we respond, I pray quickly to the call of God in our life. The subject of our lives then ought to be the same subject as the scripture and as the father. And that subject is Christ. All of life pointing to him, telling others about him, whether that's in an obvious and open position of a preacher or a minister or a pastor or whether it is an educator in school or whether it is a businessman at his work or a, a laborer in his labor, whatever that it may be, a mother taking care of her children, all that is done, the subject of it is Christ. Ultimately, when you look deep enough and close enough at the book of your life, and when it's all said and done, and somebody were able to write the days of your life, and write the story of your life, and write a a, a biography of your life, is the subject going to be screaming out to the world, Christ, this was a follower of Christ, because that's all that matters. All the other things that are done in life, now it's a point to the very subject of which we are to be engaged, and that is following Christ. And so we need to be thoughtful about this, and we need to think about what it means to follow Christ, but then we need to take these four men as the pattern. The word immediately jumped out at me, and it will. If you read the Gospel of Mark from first to to the last, that word immediately or and then they and then he went here and then Christ did this and and just just this it's only 16 chapters this smallest of the gospels um and it's an abbreviated story uh, that he tells but what is immediately apparent to me as we read verses 16 through 20 is the presence and the idea of this immediacy in which these men made their decision to follow Christ word immediately, I was curious. It means just what it says in the Greek, but I, I found the definition to be somewhat humorous, and this is in the Launida, uh Greek lexicon. It says a point of time immediately subsequent to a previous point of time. So nothing separates. Jesus called, and they followed. Immediately they followed. When Jesus calls to you, 
to me, there is, I think, a desire in God's heart anyway for us to immediately begin to follow him, not to delay and not to hesitate, but to immediately straightway is another word that's translated and used in the King James Version and the American Standard Version. There are many things, though, that prevent a person from following Christ. And I think chief among them is procrastination. Just delay. Just put it off a little while. It's not the best time for me, Lord, to follow you. I will. I will follow you one day. But first, let me go do this, whatever this might be. First, let me take care of my responsibilities at my work. Or first, let me uh, uh, get out of this stage of my life. But Jesus is standing there. Maybe he's there today for you. And you're at the Sea of Galilee. And he comes along and he says to you, maybe he's saying to you today, right now, follow me. One of the chief reasons people don't follow Christ in their life is not because of a lack of intention or a desire to do so in some degree. It simply is this, no more complicated than this. They put it off and they procrastinate and they don't follow quickly. They don't follow immediately. They don't follow straightway. They just wait. Now, we need to temper this, I think. This idea, and, and we get this idea, don't we, that Jesus walks along from the Gospel of Mark, that he comes along and he comes to these four men and he says, follow me. And they immediately followed him, and that is exactly what they did. But we need to understand the full picture of what's happened already and what is happening. There is wisdom in the desire to be certain about God's will. There certainly is. As we follow Christ, we need to be thoughtful as we do so. A great deal, I think, of foolishness has been carried out under the name of following Christ. Some read this passage even in the Gospel of Mark, and, and they read about these four men, how they immediately left all and followed Christ. And some, as they read this passage, make a mistake in thinking that this is the first time that these four men have ever seen Jesus. Their response of immediately following makes it appear as though Andrew and Peter and James and John here gave no thought to what they were doing. It's almost if all you read was the Gospel of Mark in 16 through 20, that's how it would present itself. It was never God's intention for there to just be one gospel. So we need to read Matthew and Luke and John as well to get the full picture. But when you read Mark, you think, Jesus just comes by. They've never met him before. They've never seen him before. He says, follow me. He's the son of God. And somehow he puts a trance over them or somehow he puts a spell on them and they immediately get up and begin to follow him, not knowing who he was. Well, that's that's not true. It's not at all what happened if you read the other gospels. But again, some read it and think this way. Their response begins to make it appear as though they are making an impulsive decision. To follow Christ. That's the word that came to my mind. If you, as you read this and you don't balance it with the other passages of Scripture in Matthew again and Luke and John and even in the rest of the New Testament, it appears that they're making an impulsive decision if you just laser focus here on the Gospel of Mark. And sadly, sadly, this is then how many speak about the call of Christ on our lives. Perhaps only quoting Mark, they present a gospel that encourages a man or a woman to be a, an impulsive and unthinking follower of Christ. To not consider, to not, to not pray about, or to, not, to, to discern, to, to meditate upon even. And though we want to follow quickly, 
This is not a call to irresponsibility. It's not a call to unthinking. It's not a call to some kind of uh, uh, impulsive following of God. While becoming a follower of Christ might appear to be impulsive at times in our life to others. Have you ever followed the Lord in something and people think you're making a rash, impulsive decision? And yet inwardly, it's something that you've prayed about and you know the Lord's will is for you to do that thing. And people think you're being irresponsible. Sometimes it can appear that our following of Christ is an impulsive decision. But when we have received the call of Christ in our hearts, it is the farthest thing from an impulsive decision. It might be quick. It might be a quick decision, but it is not an impulsive one. An impulsive decision, impulsive, that word, it means to act without careful consideration of the possible consequences or risk. That's what an impulsive decision is. It doesn't consider, it doesn't think about the possible risk or the consequences of your decision. And listen, Jesus does not encourage this kind of following. He does not want followers who are impulsive followers. He wants followers who are thinking carefully and thoroughly but reacting and responding quickly. Following quickly when they know His will. Jesus, though, does not encourage such a following. We read this very clearly in Luke 14, verse 27 through 33. We read this, whoever, this, these are the words of Jesus. And so as you have in your mind and your thought of Jesus coming according to the Gospel of Mark to the Sea of Galilee, and He says to these four men, follow me. And if all you read about was that uh, was Mark, and you think that he was a stranger to them, you might think that following Christ is something of an impulsive decision. They didn't know him according to some interpretation of this, and, and yet that's not true. But listen to what Jesus himself says in Luke chapter 14. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, listen to what he says, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He goes on and he talks about a king who doesn't count his forces next to the forces of the one coming against him. And then he says it this way in verse 33, therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, it is not possible to renounce all that you have while making an impulsive decision. Not really. To follow Christ. And we are to follow him quickly. We are to hurry up and follow Christ. But we ought to do so with a mind and a heart, fully understanding who it is what it is, and why it is that we are following Him. A great many impulsive decisions to follow Christ have ended with a great many half-built Christian lives. Just like Jesus warned us there would be. When the building started, maybe there was excitement. There was an impulsive decision in your life, maybe. There were few, if any, enemies to discourage. There were promises made from the preacher, maybe, from others around you. There were promises made that following Christ would guarantee earthly prosperity, success, and happiness. And little, if anything, was said of the cost that would come by following Christ in your life. No warning given of the dangers that following Christ will introduce 
in your life. And so that's not a following of being where you have thought carefully and considered deeply the call of Christ on your life. Maybe you've not responded quickly because you really haven't ever thought carefully, thoroughly, fully. I want you to consider for a moment and this thought rested with me and I think it will continue to for, for a time. I want you to think about these four men and they're not going to be the only ones like this. There will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands who will follow them. I want you to think about these four men as they stand here at the precipice of the call of Christ on their life to follow him. And I want you to think now about the cost that you know, and I know if you've read your Bible, that they paid. The things that they endured because they became a follower of Christ. The ease and the comfort even though they were common fishermen without much ease and comfort by your standard or mine, there's always though something of an ease and a comfort in the world of, of that you're familiar with. They left all that. The rejection that they were, that they experienced at the hands of their own people. The, the fact that they became outcasts to their own people, not only outcasts, but labeled heretics. Labeled dangerous people, labeled blasphemers, criminals to be avoided. That's what they paid. That's, the, that's just the beginning of the cost that they paid. They're going to, three years from this point, they're going to hear a great crowd of people cry out to Pilate, crucify this one that on this day they decided to follow. That's another piece of the cost that these four men are going to pay. They left lives that they understood for ones that often left them with a great many questions. They left lives that were comfortable to them and understandable and they understood it and they were able to make to reconcile the things that were happening in their life in a certain paradigm and context of what they understood life to be. But here comes Jesus and he says, follow me. And it's a, it's a leaving of all of that comfort zone. I'm 49 years old today. I was saved when I was 11, called to preach when I was 19. And since those days, I have not found it to be easy and comfortable to follow Christ where he sends me to go. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not simple. But it is a thought that, that, that quickly I understand that the costs are so far below the benefits. But these other costs that they, that they paid, they left... Like 10 years, a mere decade from this day, as James gets up from his boat to follow Christ, he's going to be beheaded by Herod. He's going to be killed with the sword, according to Acts. He, he started the clock on this day to 10 years where he would die following Jesus Christ. You think this is impulsive? You think it's supposed to be an impulsive decision? John. I've thought hard over these last few years, these last couple in particular, of the, of the Apostle John. The only one, and sometimes we say this, the only one who died a martyr, that didn't die a martyr's death, died a natural death. And we think, well, he was the lucky one. I say, oh, no. No, he was not. The grief that John must have endured 
10 years later when his older brother was taken and killed. The grief that he had to endure as the last of the apostles to die, to watch all the others and to hear about all the others dying and leaving this world and apparently dying alone on the island of Patmos as he's been exiled there and, yet, and he's going to pay a terrible and a great cost. Peter, according to most records, it seems, will be crucified himself. He'll say, I, you need to crucify me upside down. I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. This is the cost he paid. Andrew is going to also, according to tradition, be crucified. And he's going to say, crucify me on a different kind of cross because I'm not worthy to be crucified on a cross like Christ was. So take the shape and I think it was an X and not a cross or the other way around. Actually, according to most of history, I think most of us has got it wrong, uh, but it, we're not going to get into the point. The point is what Andrew paid was that, was that he gave up his life as well. All of these men are going to go through many difficult days and nights. Had their decision to follow Christ been an impulsive one, these hardships would have seen them abandon Christ like so many others did. But it was not impulsive. It was thoughtful. They knew inwardly. It was quick. It didn't take long, I know. But there's a a lot of the idea, again, you read the, this gospel of Mark and you don't read the other gospels and you think this is the first time, but it isn't that case at all. Jesus had just performed a great miracle, according to the other gospels. They'd been out all night fishing. You know the story from the other gospel and the Lord delivers this great miracle and this, they bring in this great haul of fish and that's when this happens and Mark is just abbreviating all of that and saying ultimately this is what happened. Jesus came by. He said, follow me. They'd already met him. Andrew had already brought Peter. John had already brought James. Already told him about James. We found the Messiah. This was not the first time they'd come across Jesus. Piecing together the accounts in the other Gospels, these four had not only met Jesus already, they had already conversed with him. This was thoughtful. Now, no doubt, their, their lives had changed in a degree, but nothing really ultimately fully had changed. They knew him. They knew with whom they were dealing. They knew who it was that was saying to them, follow me. There was already a certain belief in their hearts that Jesus was the Messiah, that their people had been waiting on for thousands of years. But now, for them, the moment of decision had come. The call to the test to follow Christ had come in their life. Jesus says to them, follow me. Maybe you've heard of Christ. If you've been raised in church, if you know anything about Christianity at all, you know who Jesus says he was, but maybe he now comes to you and says to you, follow me. I encourage you to thoughtfully and quickly follow. Think about what it is that he's calling you to. For us, it's a relatively easy thing to read about Christ, to even believe in him to a point, I think, to fully intend to follow him if he ever calls us to, but then the moment of decision arrives and we hesitate. We count the cost and cling to our nets instead of dropping them and following Christ. 
We think thoroughly, but we do not follow quickly. That's the first, that's one mistake. It's the opposite mistake of not thinking thoroughly and following quickly. We think thoroughly about it. We think about the cost that it might cost us. We hide behind the familiar. We cling to our earthly fathers and families. We label our unwillingness as prudence when we say things like, I just want to be sure. Precious hours, days, months, and years go by while we remain in a continual state of hesitation. Some of you may have heard of this book. It's called 4,000 Weeks. 4,000 Weeks. The life expectancy in the United States is 76 years old. And this book kind of calls that out. And that, that equates to right at 4,000 weeks, 76 years of life. 4,000 weeks. To some, that may sound like a lot. To me, that sounds like nothing. 4,000 weeks. 4,000 Mondays. 4,000 Sundays. That's if you live to be the average life expectancy of 76 years old. I have a, not unique to me, many others do this as well. I have a weekly planning process and review that I think back on the last week and I look forward to the next week of what needs to be done to try to keep me on track of what needs to happen. And I've pulled in, since reading this book, I've pulled in this, this graph and it's just basically, it's 4,000 little bitty squares and every one of them gets filled in automatically each week as it goes by. And if you look at the graph, you, you see where you are. And it's amazing to me how quickly that it begins to evaporate. In truth, I don't have any idea of how many of those boxes are going to get filled. I think about that too. I don't have any idea. And I know that. But it's just a reminder. It's just a prompt. Just here for a little while. Just a little while. 4,000 weeks if you're average. It's going to be here and it's going to be gone. The same is true for you. That's why we need to follow quickly. Once we've thought thoroughly and we've heard the call from God in our heart and He says to you, follow me. The response needs to be quick. It needs to be understood here Andrew, Peter, James, and John provide us an example. They're, they're already convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, at least as convinced as they can be at this point. Certainly Andrew seemed to be convinced already beyond any doubt. We found him, he said. The Messiah, come and see him, he said to, to Peter, his brother. The realization, that realization that they'd found the Messiah, no doubt it excited them. And, 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 and to this point, though, in their lives, not much had changed. They were fishing just like they'd always done. They, they, they'd met the Messiah. They believed something's happening here. Life is changing, but it hadn't yet. Perhaps thoughts of Christ were in their minds as they went about their days and their lives uh, in a new way. Perhaps there was much discussion and conversation with one another about Jesus of Nazareth, but ultimately it was all talk and no action. At least to the degree that it's going to get to become here very soon when Jesus comes by one day after a long night of fishing and says, follow me. And Jesus does that very thing. He comes and he says to them, follow me. And looking down at the nets in their hands and then looking to Jesus, they make the right decision and they leave behind their nets and they follow Christ. I, I want you now, as the Lord did for me, I want you metaphorically, 
spiritually, however you want to label it. I want you to now look down at your hands. What do you see? Christ is called. The Son of God is called. What are you holding? What's in your hands? Maybe you've been holding it for a long time and it's very comfortable in your hands. As they mended that net that they've no doubt mended hundreds, if not thousands of times, hands calloused by those nets and by that hard, difficult work. And as they looked down at those hands and they saw them holding the nets that had been their livelihood, that had fed their families, that had provided for them and those that they loved. And yet here they then look up and they see Jesus. And they, more importantly, they hear him say, follow me. What are you holding in your hands that perhaps is keeping you from following Christ? Perhaps like these four men, again, you've been holding something that is honorable and useful. These nets were, this was honorable work. It was not looked on highly. You were not going to win any prestigious social award for being a fisherman, but it was honest work. And so therefore it had an honor about it. Maybe that that you're holding on to is useful and looked at by others as being something worthy of honor. Yet if Christ calls and he says, follow me, are you willing to let it go? And become what these men did, which though not very much uh, uh, acknowledged in society, they at least weren't thought of as criminals that they would soon be thought of as. Maybe you, maybe I, were holding something that's honorable. But in the end, it's the net that we have to let go of. There was an attempt, there was no attempt made. Listen, this is, they let the net drop. They did not bring it with them. We sometimes forget that the call to follow Christ is a call to forsake everything else. There is a reason that the scripture makes a point of saying they left their nets. There's a reason because it, it means something. They left it. I think one of the most impactful thoughts in all of Tozer's books that I have read is that idea that he presents of Christianity is God minus everything. It's not God plus everything. It's God minus the net, not God plus the net. Maybe your way you're looking for a net. Christianity is about forsaking all and following Christ. It has never been about Christ following us. Sometimes I think the biggest obstacle to our following of Christ is that we want to take our nets with us, but we've got to let it go. And I need to, Hasten along and we'll be done soon. We'll be done soon and another sermon will be gone. Another sermon will be prepared, studied, and given. But what are we going to do? If Christ is calling you, I beg you to think thoroughly about his call, but follow quickly. Don't know how much time any of us have. Verses 19 and 20, I read again, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets, and immediately called them, and we've just been speaking of this. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The call here that I, the thought I want to bring to you here is that the call is to follow with others. He calls these four together. 
And he's going to call others. We're not called to follow Christ alone. The Christian life is not a lone wolf. It's a wolf among the pack. The Christian life is to be lived with others. We, we have our individual call. And that is essential. It is how Christ works. We have an individual call within the context, though, of following with others. There are others who follow with us and, and we with them. There are times when others will need to pick us up and there are times when we will need to pick others up. We're never alone, I know, in the sense that God is always with us and yet God still calls us to follow Him in the company of others. He knows how important that is. Whether there be, whether your pack be a few or whether it be enough to fill the hillside is not important. Who Where's your pack? Who are you following with? Who has Christ called you to follow with? The Christian calling is not a calling of a life of seclusion. It is a calling to follow Christ alongside others and to go to others who are not yet followers and urge them to come with you. Come with us, actually, more appropriately. And again, even if it's few and seemingly a very small thing to others, your pack, the church of which you are a part should be an encouragement to you to follow Christ in your life as you encourage others to follow Christ in their own. And again, ultimately, I want to end with this idea. The call is to follow him. Follow me. Follow me, Jesus says. Follow me, a person, not an idea. Me. I'm going to give you lots of ideas, Jesus might say. I'm going to teach you many things. A lot of things that is going to amaze and astound your mind. A lot of which, for now at least, you won't even begin to understand. I'm going to teach you a lot of things. You're going to see miracles that you won't be able to explain. I'm going to reveal to you and shine a light on all of the Old Testament prophets and scripture that you know real well. I'm going to shine a light on it and light bulbs are going to come off in your head and in your heart and you're going to understand things that you never understood before. But he does not say, follow my ideas. He says, follow me. Not a religion. Me. Not a Pharisee. Not a scribe. Not the chief priest. Not the one who says they have all the answers. Follow me, Jesus says. And, and if, if we are to follow Christ, then all of us individually need to be following him and, and if all of us are following him, then guess what? We're going to be in fellowship one with another because our eyes are going to be locked on the same thing. It's an individual call. You're going to have to respond to it. I can't for you. No one else can. You're not going to get caught up in the herd and somehow become a part of them because the Lord one day is going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to separate the wheat from the tares. But he's not going to do that, I don't think, until the end, I think is the picture in Scripture. There are many good ideas, and religion can be a helpful place and a helpful thing, but the call to Christ to follow him is nothing less than that, follow him. So here we are. Maybe, maybe you came today like Andrew, Peter, James, and John went that day 
fishing, just another fishing trip, another day to see to the needs of my family, to catch enough fish, to take to market, to make enough money, to provide food for my family and clothes and shelter and all of these things, maybe even get ahead. Maybe it'll be a successful night and, and we'll get a little extra today. Maybe, maybe you came as just another day, just another Sunday. Just another time when the preacher's going to preach a message and we're going to go home and it'll all be the same. But when Jesus came to these men on this day, their normal day turned into a pivot point in their entire life and in their eternity. And not only in theirs, but in others that they would impact and reach. Follow me. Do you see the universe shaking power in two words from the Son of God? Follow me change everything. If the Lord is calling you in your heart, you, you feel and you know that he's calling you. I urge you to carefully consider the calling. I'm not giving you a rosy picture that your Christian life is going to be simple and blessed. And God's just going to make you the, 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 the envy of the world. It's not probably going to happen. I won't limit God. He can do whatever he wants to do with you. But I can tell you that the pattern is this. It's, it's going to be a road of difficulty. And, and you're in enemy territory. And you're in a land where God calls the ruler and the prince and the power of this place is Satan. And it's one day going to be judged. But while you are here and you walk here, you're going to be in enemy territory if you follow Christ. I want you to think carefully about it. But then, if you understand his calling on your life, I urge you. I urge you to follow quickly. Drop the net. Get up and follow. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Know that while the calling is to follow with others, you're going to have to make this decision yourself to become a part of his family. If the Lord's calling your heart this morning, I urge you carefully to consider it and to follow him immediately. I can't tell you what you might face as a result of following Christ, I can't. I, I can't tell you like I couldn't tell James on this day if I was there with him. James, don't don't follow him. It's your death sentence if you do. Peter, don't don't do this. This is this isn't necessary. That's what the enemy will whisper in your ear, by the way. It's not necessary. You can just kind of go along in the world and, and it'll be fine. Don't worry. If, if, if God is calling you, I, I can't tell you what you're going to face. But I can tell you this. I can tell you this. Whatever it is. Whatever sacrifice you'll have to make. Whatever loss you're going to endure. Whatever dark, terrible nights you're going to have to go through. No matter what tears are going to stain your cheeks. No matter what heartbreak you may feel here, those things are temporary and those costs are small. And it's worth the sacrifice to get up, drop the net and follow Christ. Wherever he would lead you. These four men did not yet know the lives of struggle that they would begin to take their first steps on this day. They didn't. Yet they knew then. And listen, they know even better now that all of those costs are small 
in light of the glory that they are sharing with Christ today. Thinking thoroughly, I want you to think thoroughly if God's calling you. I do. I don't, I don't want you to make an impulsive decision. But once you know God's calling you, I urge you to respond and to follow quickly. Let's have a song. Good.